What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the HoopsHype podcast. On today's episode, my colleague Brian Kalbrowski and I will break down the NBA draft lottery and what the results mean going forward, heading into the draft at the end of July. And right off the bat, there's a couple of teams that we're going to touch on that could move some of their draft picks. You know, the draft is as much about teams making moves as it is selecting players. And one team to keep an eye on that has two picks in the lottery is the Golden State Warriors, who have picks 7 and 14. Brian, for me, that's a team that I certainly have my eye on as a team that could look to move their picks. Uh, you know, with their core that they have, Steph Curry, Clay Thompson coming back from injury, and Draymond Green, they're in more of a win now mode for me. And, you know, in talking with other teams around the league, that's their vibe as well. Uh, they've got James Weissman as well, another young asset that they could look to potentially flip if they deem it noteworthy. So, uh, with that in mind, what are you hearing from scouts around the league as far as the, the top of the draft in particular? Yeah, I think this is a particularly interesting place for the Warriors pick to fall. Uh, the one they got, obviously, from the uh, trade that sent D'Angelo Russell to the Minnesota Timberwolves and Andrew Wiggins back to the Golden State Warriors. Uh, because I think that amongst the scouts that I've spoken to, um, I think many of them feel that it is a, a six-player draft in terms of who the most uh, notable players are at the top that are most likely to receive uh, you know, heavy consideration at that point. And those players obviously being Cade Cunningham, Evan Mobley, Jalen Suggs, Jalen Green, Jonathan Kaminga, and Scotty Barnes. Uh, I think that Keon Johnson may have uh, done himself some favors yesterday, uh, maybe in that seventh spot uh, by breaking the record for the highest max vert ever recorded at the uh, Combine's history, uh, 48 inches. I mean, the dude just absolutely flew. So there could be some conversation of Keon sort of joining that upper echelon. Uh, but realistically, I think that, uh, at least from my perspective, it takes a pretty big drop-off from six to seven. Uh, and I think that that's sort of the general consensus feel as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if the Warriors tried to trade their two lottery picks uh, to either move up and get one of those big guys with the Cade Cunningham, Mobley, Jalen category, um, or potentially even trade out completely because those two lottery picks, um, you know, as well as the uh, the potential, you know, rights to James Wiseman, you know, Andrew Wiggins' contract, put that together and you've got a decent, yourself a decent package if you want to, you know, add some ready players to a contending team. Yeah, they could certainly swing for the fences. And I mean, you know, it's interesting with the draft because there are some drafts where the best player in a draft doesn't go until even past the lottery. We saw it with Giannis Antetokounmpo. We saw it with Kawhi Leonard. Um, you know, they were more towards the back of the lottery and just outside of it for the two of them. So I, I do agree with you in terms of what you're hearing from the scouts about the six player draft. Um, that more or less that that is the consensus from what I've heard in talking even with some execs as well. And, you know, we touched on the Warriors having those two lottery picks. Um, you know, the New York Knicks, another big market team, they have four picks. And particularly 19, 21, 32, 58, interesting selections for them. I think given that where they were last year and kind of surpassing expectations and going into the playoffs um, and, and making some noise there and looking to build on that, a lot of people around the league, I, I don't think they're looking at the Knicks coming out of that draft 
with four picks. I, I would expect them to be a team certainly looking to either try to move up or move those picks to try to get uh, some veteran help. And they've got their own free agents to look at uh, as well. Yeah, I mean, they're they're not rostering all those guys. Um, you know, there's obviously potential for a draft and stash uh, option with one of those second round picks, especially 58, you know, drafting somebody, um, you know, from Europe or from Africa or someone who's playing overseas and uh, potentially keeping them uh, developing and not giving them a roster spot right away. I could definitely see that as an option at 58. Um, you know, same thing with potentially having a player accept uh, a two-way deal. Uh, that's something that, you know, obviously happens at the end of the second round quite a bit is, you know, they draft you on the condition of the fact they're not giving you a full roster spot. So that's something that I think is pretty likely uh, to be looked at for the 58 pick. Uh, 32, way too high for probably that, although you could potentially get a decent draft and stash option there. Um, I think that a trade package for the Knicks is super realistic as well, especially, you know, with Tom Thibodeau's, uh, you know, success last year, they're fully in uh, win now mode. Um, one thing that I just kind of think is notable uh, with the Knicks uh, is that a lot of mock drafts have the, uh, have the Knicks taking uh, Chris Duarte out of the University of Oregon. Um, I think Jonathan Wasserman from Blue Turfort has that. Kevin O'Connor from the Ringer has that. I think Jeff Goodman from Stadium has that. Uh, Chad Ford uh, from his own site has that. And, you know, that's one of those things where just across the board uh, on that one, when you see so many things like that, kind of start to read the tea leaves. And, you know, one thing that's interesting about Duarte in particular is that he pulled out of the NBA draft combine this year. Uh, he didn't participate at all. Uh, Jonathan Wasserman from Bleacher Report uh, reported that he's at least heard that that may have been because he wanted to focus on just working out. He didn't want to take a week away from his trainer. Um, you know, where he's working out right now. That's the most Tom Thibodeau thing I've heard in quite a while. That's the kind of thing that Tom Thibodeau would love. Reminds me of like a Jimmy Butler old tale um, who obviously had his first success in the NBA under Tim, Tom, Tom Thibodeau with the Chicago Bulls. So uh, that's something that I just kind of would keep an eye on if I'm the Knicks um, or a Knicks fan. Uh, obviously, no reporting here, no, no guarantees that Duarte is the guy, but uh, I went to University of Oregon, and I followed Duarte's career pretty closely over the last couple of years. Obviously, former junior college breakout player who's had a lot of success at Oregon on both sides of the ball. Uh, just a hard-nosed 3 and D guy. I'm pretty sure he's already older than Brandon Ingram, you know, who's been in the league for several years now. So he's somebody to watch as a kind of win-now type of a draft prospect rather than a developmental one. Um, but I think with a team like the Knicks, that's not exactly the worst thing. Yeah, I mean, you know, a lot of times you see you touched on a couple of things there. So one, uh, with the Knicks, we're talking about like that fifty-eight pick, and I, it seems like now in the NBA draft that if you're going forty or later, a lot of teams are looking to try to do and, and even some uh, late thirty picks. Um, teams are looking to do these two-way deals, ideally, and uh, almost like that—that's kind of your destiny if you're taken in at that point in the draft, just with the way the rosters are now. But, um, you know, in terms of, of the Knicks, you know, having that 32 pick, the early second round picks are particularly valuable because of the way you can structure their contracts with the CBA. I think teams value those more than they do the very late uh, picks in the 20s. Actually, if you talk to some executives, even though it's a couple spots higher, doesn't necessarily move the needle as much. Um, but 
you know, Duarte's future is certainly going to be interesting. I think guys that are older players now, uh, they don't have as much of a stigma against them as maybe they did in the past. I mean, they're not going to go as high, but, uh, you know, you look at a guy like Eric Pascal, he, he went a little bit lower and he was a contributor for the Warriors. So I think it, it just depends on the team situation. And if you are a team that's trying to win more now, uh, Duarte would be a good selection there for that at, at his position. Um, some other teams in the lottery, uh, the Orlando Magic, who have three picks. They got 5, 8, and 33. They're a team for me that I think is going to be interesting because having 5 and 8, you almost wonder if you can package that and move up a little bit more to if there was a guy that they really liked. Um, and and those top couple of picks, you know, which we'll get into, are going to be uh, – pretty interesting because it's like really the draft kind of moves. I, I still think Kate Cunningham goes one to Detroit. I know there's a lot of talk about, well, Mobley's in consideration. Jalen Green is in consideration. Sure. Um, you know, that's like, to me, that's just like speak, uh, executive. Yeah. Speak. I mean, when you, when you hear the kid Cunningham's only working out with a Detroit fist, then that's pretty indicative of one thing. Oh yeah. And I mean, look, that's certainly, his representation's way of, you know, making it known that they clearly obviously believe he's the number one pick. And, um, but, but either way, I would still say like, that's just the route they're going to end up going. It'll be interesting to see how that affects Killian Hayes's future. If they maybe play Kate on the wing or if they, uh, consider potentially moving, uh, Killian Hayes down the line, not necessarily now, but depending on how it shakes out. But, yeah, so Orlando was a team that I particularly looked at. They're in a full rebuild now. Uh, you know, John Hammond has always been a guy as their executive that has believed in length and athleticism. Uh, you saw that with Giannis Antetokounmpo when he was there as part of that draft. Uh, same thing with Jeff Weltman. They have a lot of athletes. So uh, something to monitor when they're picking in the top five in terms of who falls to them. Um, also Oklahoma City. Uh they have six picks right now, 6, 16, 18, 34, 36, 55. Not as high as they might have thought that they would be with that sixth pick. But as you touched on, in a six-player draft, if, let's say, Scotty Barnes or Jonathan Kaminga ended up going to them, um, I would say like maybe those are the two guys that could end up there, although I put my money on Scotty Barnes as of now. Uh, that's not exactly a, a, a bad quote unquote consolation prize. Yeah, I mean, Scotty Barnes is, uh, I think, a perfect fit for, for that roster, uh, especially the way he plays on ball, pairing him with someone like Pokashevi, uh, who also plays incredibly well on ball and is a marvelous passer and in his own right. Uh, the duo of those two guys would give them a chance to do something crazy with the way they bring out uh, ball handlers and just a really, really uh, tall lineup. Uh, I think that Scotty Barnes would be uh, just an excellent pick for Oklahoma City. Um, obviously, you know, one of those guys who still maybe lacks shooting, but if you look at, you know, Sam Presti drafting Russell Westbrook, freak athlete coming out of college who had an excellent court vision and playmaking, um, but didn't have a, quite have a shooting touch yet. I think that you've seen a similar thing with Scotty Barnes, but he's significantly taller. And Orlando, I think for me, Jonathan Kaminga has got one of those uh, exact prototypes that, I think the Magic tend to covet. Uh, I think he would do really, really well in that uniform. Yeah, and Jonathan Kaminga, guy that's been compared by Coach Brian Shaw to G League Ignite, to uh, Jalen Brown, a little bit of OG Ananobi as well. 
interesting fit there. I agree with your assessment as far as his potential fit for the type of player that Orlando management usually looks at. Um, it'll just be a question of whether he's there or not at their pick. Um, you know, other teams that I think we need to keep an eye on as far as moving picks, uh, the New Orleans Pelicans have four second round draft picks, 35, 40, 43, 53. Looking at that team, uh, they've got a lot of young guys right now and I don't see them carrying four second round picks, you know, whether it's draft and stash or whether it's, you know, maybe trying to move those picks in a, in a trade. I certainly expect them to be, uh, working the phones and I think others around the league feel the same way at this point. Yeah. I think that, you know, in the lottery, uh, one man that I keep seeing linked to them is Moses Moody, uh, out of Arkansas, um, who was, uh, high school teammates with, you know, Cade Cunningham and, um, Scotty Barnes and Daron Sharp. He was sort of the third man in that offense um, in terms of just uh, kind of their their notability. Um, but he, he's somebody who I think is a you know a really good uh, value at ten, and somebody who I think would be a really great role player for that offense, especially you know giving them floor spacers. Obviously, that's what New Orleans needed the most last year. They need guys who can shoot uh, next to Zion Williamson, and that's exactly what Moses Moody could do. Um, but outside of that, I mean. Yeah, they're, they're, I don't see a scenario where they um, use all of those picks uh, to roster those guys. But, you know, they've done some pretty cool work with uh, draft and such players before, um, you know, brought D.D. Lozado over at the end of last season. Uh, he's somebody who I think, you know, was was a good idea for them to do and hold on to in the draft and kind of see how he developed overseas. So um, I definitely think that New Orleans is uh, in a good spot uh, with all of the picks they've uh, done. You know, they're sort of... Uh, you know, the, the other Oklahoma City funder in that sense where they're, they've done a really good job with asset management. I mean, both uh, both front offices definitely have done uh, an incredible job of just getting as many picks as possible to the point where, you know, they're just going to go back and forth one day, just going back with, uh, you know, their own picks. And that's going to be the control of the draft. <laughs> yeah, I know. They're going to take over for Adam Silver and, uh, you know, Mark Tatum at times maybe and <laughs> do an announcement of the picks. But um you know, with that said, like you touched on New Orleans having that tenth pick. Um, I know Swing Cash kind of stole the show with the lottery with her <laughs> reaction, but you know, with them having Trajan Langdon there uh, along with David Griffin, you know, Trajan with Brooklyn, uh, they had a great time taking Jared Allen, Karis Levert, guys that fell later in the in the draft that maybe people thought. Um, you know, when it comes to looking at guys and finding value at 10, I will put my money on Trajan in that group to find someone that fits them. Um, but switching from the Pelicans to going a little bit back towards Detroit, you know, we touched on them with the number one pick. They've also got a couple of second rounders. They've got three. That's a team to keep an eye on because they've got already a young core. Some guys like Sadiq Bey, Isaiah Stewart, who, um, you know, for folks that are listening Brian Kalbrowski had a really good interview with Isaiah Stewart, and he was a quote machine. So if you if you hadn't seen that, I suggest that you do check that out on hoopsife.com. You know, Google it; it'll come up. Uh, he's a fun guy, really good rebounder, obviously, and a good inside presence. But I enjoyed his his interview with you in particular. Um, Thank you, man. Yeah, I was uh, one of those guys who, after moved after speaking to him, I was like, this guy's going to be a pro in this league for 10, 15 years. And he was somebody who 
I knew I wanted to have higher on my mock drafts because I was I was scared that he would prove me prove me right, basically. <laughs> and you know, I touched on a little bit before about Trajan Langdon being the former Brooklyn Nets executive alongside uh, Sean Marks in those drafts where they took Jared Allen and Karis LeVert. Well, the Nets they have four picks of their own, three of which are in the second round. Um, for them, I think in particular that twenty-seven pick is interesting to see if they move it due to future luxury tax implications, which um, on that topic, if you are a uh, Brooklyn Nets fan in particular, uh, Yossi Goslin and I, our hoops type salary cap expert, touched on their luxury tax implications in a recent podcast. You can find that on hoopshype.com as well. And regarding the Nets in particular, uh, Yossi touched on some offseason preview stuff for them to keep an eye on. And I touched on the free agencies of uh, the free agency outlooks of Spencer Dinwiddie, Jeff Green, Blake Griffin, and Bruce Brown uh, in terms of what executives think for them. Make sure you check that out on hoopshype.com as well. But getting back to these picks, I think certainly that 27 pick could be in play uh, given where the Nets are as a win-now team right now. Uh, you know, you never know. Could they do maybe a draft and stash? Sure. But, uh, you know, the, 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 that luxury tax bill is something to keep in mind. I know Joe Sy has put in a ton of money into that team. And I don't expect him to have any shortage of that right now, especially when they're uh, going to look to be potentially the favorites on paper next year. I know they had an early exit, but if they're healthy, a lot of people seem to believe that. So keep an eye on, on the Brooklyn Nets there with those picks as well. Um, and also... Uh, Toronto was a team that I think surprisingly came out of that lottery uh, as a winner. Getting the fourth overall pick for them is going to be incredibly important for their future with Fred Van Vliet, Pascal Siakam, Oji Ananobi, and the rest of the core that they have there. Um, you know, Brian, for you in particular, uh, when you look at kind of that first top of the draft, right, because it's going to shake out a little bit after – um, you know, you figure Kate Cunningham goes one. I, I know there's a lot of smoke about other people, but Kate Cunningham goes one. And then the draft kind of picks up from there. So with Toronto, they're in a, a good position, I feel. But when you look at the top of that draft, how do you kind of see that shaking out a little bit? Oh, Toronto definitely uh, were the second biggest winners in this outside of Detroit. Um, they don't have to have any egg on their face by picking the wrong guy. Uh, at least the way I see it, you know, some combination of Evan Mobley and the Jalen's, potentially even Jonathan Kaminga, um, you know, go two through. Uh, one, uh, let's see. Yeah, I guess, you know, in that order, but essentially, probably. Um, and, you know, I think that you just kind of draft the one that wasn't picked um, for if you're Toronto. And I think that, you know, all of those guys have fit in really well uh, with their core. I think that, you know, you've got. Um, you know, kind of an insurance policy in the backcourt, um, you know, for an aging Kyle Lowry uh, with either of the Jalens. Um, and then you've got uh, an incredible frontcourt option, Evan Mobley, to pair with Pascal Siakam and Chris Boucher. Um, you know, and that would be uh, fantastic as well, especially with the way that Toronto has developed big men over the last several years. I think that that's just, um, you know, something that, They've done incredibly well, especially, you know, the younger big men kind of seeing the way they've gotten better uh, through that system. You know, Mobley is just such an incredible defensive prospect, one of the better defensive frontcourt prospects we've seen over the last several years. And the way that Toronto's system, you know, values defense and that sort of tenacity would definitely be, um, you know, an excellent fit. But Jalen Green, 
gives them, you know, a lot of the scoring punch that they've sort of lacked a little bit. And I, I really see a scenario where no matter who they add, uh, they'll probably be back in the playoffs next year, you know, playing back in their home country as well. I think that, you know, this year was sort of a tough situation for them with them in Tampa. Um, but with a normal year and, you know, I think an elite level guy added to their core, uh, there it's going to be a lot, a lot better for them moving forward and, you know, gives them uh, a lot to look forward to in Toronto. I agree on that. And I would say that, um, you know, for me at the top of the draft. So I, I, in my, in my own mock, in my head, I'm looking at Keith Cunningham going one to the Detroit Pistons at two for the Houston Rockets to me. I know you can go a bunch of different directions here, but I think it's Evan Mobley because at that point you're pairing him and Christian Wood, Rafa, uh, Rafael Stone, the Houston Rockets executive said the other day that they are kind of positionless. And I just think that when you're young and you're essentially starting over in a sense and post James Harden trade, you got to get the best players available at whatever selection you have. And Mobley to me would be that guy at two. And then you pair him and Christian Wood, you've got your front court uh, for the foreseeable future on paper. Uh, to me, then it gets interesting at three because Cleveland has a backcourt of Colin Sexton and Darius Garland. And at that point, if Mobley's off the board, you're, uh, to most people, I think you would look at the guards and say, well, Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green, the two Jalens you touched on, um, would be there. But is that a fit? And if you take one of those guys, then you're probably going to look at moving Sexton or Garland, I would surmise, because that would be a crowded backcourt for three young guys that need time to develop. And what's going to be interesting is Sexton is coming up on the opportunity to have a contract extension. And I think those contract talks are going to be interesting. I don't know if well, I'll say this from what I can gather from within Cleveland, Colin Sexton's one of Colin Sexton's biggest values to that team is his durability. And they value that tremendously there. Is he a guy that is a max extension guy? No, not in my opinion. Um, a really good scoring guard, but they have to decide in, in, in not only trying to keep Jared Allen, who, uh, you know, it depends what's going to happen there. You, you've got to figure out then, okay, are you paying Allen and then Colin Sexton? Because then your salary cap is pretty uh, locked in tightly. So, you know, and you never know. Maybe Mobley falls to them and then they have a real decision to make. And uh, at that point, it gets interesting. But um, to me, I feel like at that point, then you could look at maybe a surprise pick in, in Jonathan Kaminga. Because I don't think some people have him ahead of Green or Suggs on their overall board. But in terms of a positional need, maybe that would make more sense. And then they look and see what they do with Isaac Okoro as well um, for Cleveland on that kind of wing spot. Yeah, to be honest with you, I think drafting for, um, you know, positional need is not the best strategy. Uh, and I don't think it would be the best strategy for Cleveland uh, in this particular scenario. Uh, I think anybody who watched the Julie Knight squad uh, would probably agree that uh, Jalen Green was a far better prospect than Jonathan Kaminga. Uh, I think that, you know, they played on the same team and it was pretty obvious which one made more sense. Um, I think the real situation that would be more interesting, though, for me would definitely be, um, you know, the idea of 
what would happen if Houston passes on Evan Mobley for Cleveland because Jared Allen really, really played uh, wonderful basketball for the Cavaliers and um, obviously, you know, could be worth big money for them. Um, and, you know, I think just for me, I, I would I'd be monitoring that really closely uh, to see if maybe Jared Allen became available in the trade market because I don't really necessarily see those two uh, playing together um, in the same front court as easily as I would with Christian Wood and Evan Mobley. I think Christian Wood definitely more of a floor spacing four uh, than Jared Allen is. So um, I definitely think that, you know, if Houston decides to go with one of the Jalen's or uh, Jonathan Kaminga um, instead of Evan Mobley, uh, then it puts Cleveland in a real weird spot uh, where, you know, realistically their backcourt is crowded and with Jared Allen, the front court sort of is too. So um, I, I definitely think that, you know, it's going to be a real tough decision for Cleveland. I think they've got uh, the, the, the toughest choice to make out of anybody in the, uh, in the lottery. And so, you know, we've touched on a lot of guys in the high lottery at this point, but I wanted to ask you, Brian, in terms of maybe some guys that are risers and fallers, uh, according to the scouts that you've spoken to um, on behalf of Hoops Hype, can, can you give us a little bit of a sense of which guys you've heard that are rising and falling so far with the draft? A month away. Yeah, I mean, I think the number one name that's come up uh, is Scotty Barnes. People are getting really, really excited about uh, his unique size and athleticism. Um, I think that, you know, he was definitely seen as maybe a notch below those top five guys uh, before the combine. And I think he's kind of solidified himself as in that same tier um, with a six foot seven height, but seven foot three wingspan, um, as well as one of the best shuttle runs among all participants. Uh, just you know, great playmaker, great on-ball defender, uh, super versatile, switchable, um, kind of can play uh, almost any position on the court. Uh, and if his shooting comes along, he's going to be a special guy to watch for sure. Uh, another guy who's really, really risen for a lot of people uh, is Jericho Sims out of Texas. Now, he averaged just 6.6 points a game during his four years in college uh, and took just one three-pointer in his collegiate career. Uh, but one scout that I spoke with said that he's pretty sure uh, that he'd bet him, you know, anything this guy gets drafted. Uh, based off what he was seeing from him in uh, workouts. And that's team workouts. Now that he's had the combine workouts uh, where he was able to really show off his athleticism, it became even more apparent. I mean, he had a 44-and-a-half-inch vertical. Um, he's also one of the faster guys out there. Seven-foot-three wingspan, uh, just completely dunking on everybody during uh, scrimmages. Um, you know, shot 80% at the rim uh, during college last season. Uh, you know, best among all guys, including Evan Mobley. Um, who had at least 100 attempts in that zone. I think Scotty Lewis is somebody who is worth watching as well. Um, he's somebody who I think, at least in my opinion, uh, changed my mind a lot during uh, the combine so far. Um, he's somebody who had a 42-inch vertical leap, uh, which is one of the best among all participants. That's uh, Jericho Sims and Keon Johnson, which is the combine record. Um, he also had uh, the best mark at the three-quarter sprint and the fastest lane agility time. Uh, so, you know, with his unique, unique length as well, um, he's somebody who I think with a seven foot wingspan can guard multiple positions and, um, you know, is a great uh, defensive playmaker, kind of in a similar mold to, you know, Marcus Smart and DeAnthony Melton. Marcus Smart's a very unique guy because he can guard big men, but seven foot wingspan, you can match up with those guys a little bit easier than, um, you know, some may have predicted coming into it. So I think that he's somebody that I've got highlighted a little bit more than I did uh, coming into the combine. And the last guy is Joe Wieskamp out of Iowa. Uh, he was fit. He was a little bit, um, you know, 
uh, behind the scenes almost playing alongside uh, Luca Garza, who was, you know, collegiate consensus college player of the year last year. Um, but I think that he has done a lot to help himself uh, during the combine so far, um, especially in the eyes of scouts who have noticed that he's, um, you know, not only a 40 plus percent shooter during college, but surprisingly athletic. I mean, he is somebody who, you know, finished 97th percentile off the catch uh, shooting three pointers last season, um, but also had a 42 inch max vertical. And for comparison, reigning dunk champion and Bernie Simons notched a 41 and a half inch vertical at uh, the combine in 2018. So um, that's something that's sort of uh, worth watching, especially considering he's got six foot 11 wingspan. So a lot of people think that Corey Kispert's the uh, shooter in this class with the most upside. I think that Joe Wieskamp is kind of proving that he's uh, in a similar tier uh, to Corey Kispert. I'm not saying he will get picked in the lottery by any stretch, but I do think that they have similar long-term values. And, you know, across the board, there's also just going to be kind of guys who have changed their bodies a little bit uh, that are raising some eyebrows. Luca Garza and Dacian Nix from the G League Night uh, program uh, both kind of come to mind in that sense. Uh, Dacian Nix is somebody who I think a lot of scouts have uh, highlighted to see if he's really um, committed to, you know, keeping his body slimmer after an otherwise, you know, kind of disappointing campaign with Ignite. Anybody that you feel has been a real guy that has fallen a little bit at this point? Uh, I don't necessarily think uh, anybody comes to mind for me as like a huge faller. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of guys who um, have question marks, but I think that you try to hide a lot of those things. If your agent and representation know that you're not going to compete well at a certain thing, um, they'll, they'll probably do a pretty good job of making sure you don't, uh, you don't test in that category. Uh, there are some guys who are maybe a little bit shorter, uh, than people thought. Um, I think Davion Mitchell and Keon Johnson and that both kind of come to mind. Um, but I think across the board, you know, I think the, the biggest one's just got to be, unfortunately, Jared Butler, who I think deserves, you know, just a special shout out and kind of well wishes and prayers towards his way, because as somebody who, uh, you know, has followed his story for a while. I interviewed him when he tested the waters last year. Uh, I've been rooting for that kid for, for a minute. And, you know, he uh, obviously won a national championship and now is kind of basically deemed ineligible to play in the NBA until his heart condition is cleared. And I had heart surgery as a kid. So I'm especially empathetic to that and hope that uh, he does, you know, whatever he can to stay healthy and hopefully, um, you know, get cleared to play in the NBA and reach that uh, lifelong dream for himself. Well said, Brian. And, you know, I appreciate you coming on the pod with me and breaking down uh, not only the top of the lottery, but the risers and fallers as we get ready for the draft a month away, my man. Absolutely, man. And, um, you know, I'm looking forward to seeing more of your draft interviews. I know I've got a good one with JT Thor that came out today, who's been uh, another guy who's just been kind of heating up on a lot of scouts radars recently. And um, can't wait to see, you know, who else gets a chance to speak to Hoopsite to both you and me coming up soon. Absolutely. And on behalf of my colleague, Brian, I want to thank everybody for tuning in. If you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives and media members, you can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can also keep up with my tweets on Twitter at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Brian, too. He's at Brian Kalbroski. That's B-R-Y-A-N-K-A-L-B-R-O-S-K-Y. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scott, wishing you and yours all the best.